Good morning, Grace Chapel. The scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another, showing honor. Do not be slowful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That was for me. I think he wrote that for me. <clears throat> blessed are those who bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. That's important. Mm. I'm trying not to cry. Um <sighs> Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, even when your neighbor is playing loud music on purpose. Or he knocks on your door and busts out a window pane in your front door. Or he steals a mailed package off your front porch. And holds on to it for a week. This is not, this is spiritual warfare. It's not one where your eyes can see. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, even with that neighbor. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's my hope, that's my insurance. I don't have to fight. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, to, be God. to God. Thank you, Miss Mona. What's up, everybody? It's good to see you. Uh, we've been talking about genuine love and what it means to be a community knit together. In love. And uh, we've been looking at this passage and all of these exhortations saying that each part plays a role in genuine love. What Paul is describing in this passage in so many terms is genuine love. 
from all of these different angles. And we've been looking at each verse um, and meditating on it and turning it over in our minds to see how does this contribute to what genuine love is. And today we come to verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I have entitled this sermon, What's Zeal Got to Do, Got to Do With It? (laughs) And I see three parts to this verse, which is good because we preach three-point sermons. And so the three points are, don't be lazy in love, be boiling in spirit, serve the Son. Are you ready? All right. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, would you teach us what it means to be zealous for love this morning? We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Don't be lazy in love. The way that Paul says it is, don't be slothful in zeal. Uh, The word zeal here in other translations, maybe in the translation that you're using, is translated diligence. Don't be slothful in diligence. I like that translation. When we think of zeal, we typically think of passion. But what this word describes is really untiring effort or eagerness or even doing one's best. Passion is involved here, but the focus is really on the, the, the effort that's being exerted. So, we might translate this, when it comes to doing one's best, don't be slothful. Slothful, not a word we use very often. Sloths, however, are kind of cool again. They're everywhere. Sloths are on my children's yogurt containers, on t-shirts, posters, Who knew? Remember the scene with the sloths from Zootopia? Do you remember where the sloths work? The DMV. It's so good. I was going to show the clip, but it lasts so long. Because sloths are slow. Slack. They lack ambition. Lazy. So you put it all together and what you get is don't be slack in your best efforts. Don't let laziness spoil your good work. You put that in the context of following Jesus and you get something similar to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6 when he says, Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good. We can get weary 
in doing good, can we not? And so we should feel the goodness of that corrective against lethargy. It's well meant. It's necessary and needs to be taken to heart. Well, what work is he talking about? It might be tempting to take this verse out of context and to consider what Paul is saying is just be zealous in general or have a zeal for God in general. But we have to remember that these verses stand in the middle of numerous directions about Christian relationships. Everything before it has to do with how we treat one another in genuine love. Everything after it has to do with how we treat one another in genuine love. I don't think Paul just stopped talking about that. Paul is exhorting us to use all of our spiritual resources not to give up on our brothers and sisters when it comes to love. When it comes to your best efforts in loving one another, don't give up. Don't become slack. I love that because as heartwarming as it is to think about not giving up on love, which sounds like a like a eight chorus to an 80s song. Don't give up on love. Love is hard work. Uh, to be involved in someone's life in a loving way can be really tough sledding. Love, genuine love, is not for the faint of heart. Leaves you open to all kinds of hurt. C.S. Lewis once pointed out, the only way to be sure that you will never have your heart broken is to never give it to anyone or anything. And since we tend to give our hearts to people, we tend to get hurt. And our zeal for love tends to flag or fade or weaken. And the Apostle Paul says, I don't want that to happen with you and in the midst of this church community. Isn't that interesting? The first threat that he sees to genuine love in this passage, everything else has been positive. The first threat is against laziness. We might have said something else. There's lots of things that tend to threaten our love. We might have thought of hate or fear, or selfishness. But when Paul thought about what might threaten our love, the first thing he mentioned was sloth. And I think we'll see why when we dig a little deeper. Again, while we don't think of sloth much these days, the old-timers thought about it a great deal when they thought about the spiritual life. It's one of the deadly sins, after all. One of the most interesting and intriguing of all the deadly sins. Because all the others, lust, gluttony, greed, and envy, they all have to do with our desires running crazy. Running amok. 
uh, inordinate desires that hijack our lives and our hearts. But sloth, on the other hand, is an under-desiring. It's a lack of desire. An absence of zeal for the good things of God. And a consequent shrinking back of our duty to one another and to God. It's a condition that comes upon us when life is too challenging, when our doubts and fears get too loud, when engagement with God or others seems too demanding. It can be kind of hard to define, but it's not hard to recognize in our lives. It's quarreling with your wife or husband during dinner, and afterwards, instead of engaging with one another to work it out, it's being content to head off into your opposite corners for the rest of the night to sulk. Lazy in love. It's when it's just easier to maintain that miserable distance and alienation from one another rather than doing the hard work of apologizing and forgiving and reconciling. It's having a great day and then receiving a text message from a friend describing a tragedy that happened in their life. They're asking for prayer. They're asking for help. Being lazy in love is the temptation you feel to pretend you didn't see the text. Rather than call and engage them in their sorrow. It's not just laziness. It's also working way too many hours because it's easier for you to engage at work than to engage at home. It's easier for me to be in the church writing the sermon than to be engaging my wife and children's heart at home. Being lazy in love is evenings without number obliterated by television Evenings neither of entertainment nor education, just narcoticized defense against human hearts and duty. I think about my relationship with my kids and how their hearts are different when I read to them at night. But to read to them at night means I got to read to them at night. It means I have to engage with them at night. And it's nighttime and I'm tired. It is a lot easier to turn on an episode of Star Wars Rebels. Which is also really cool. (laughs) But it's not as good for them. It's, It's being lazy in love. It's being in a church community and learning that online church is a lot easier. I'm convinced that laziness in love lies behind a lot of our lust. To wait until the house is empty so that you do what you will later be ashamed of. It's just a pattern that you're in. And you try for years to say no. 
But then you wake up one day and find out, oh, my problem isn't foremost with lust. My problem is with sloth. My problem is that I'm afraid of the relationship with the real person God has given me. So rather than sit down with him or her, I'd rather go to my alternative reality where there is no hardship and no stretch marks, no blemishes, where there's never a no, where there's never an expectation of chit-chat before or after, where I never have to pick up my socks or vacuum the floor. It's looking at your wife or husband and like the spies in the Old Testament who go out to check out the land of promise but see giants in the land and then shrink back and choose the wilderness. We can look at one another like that. We look at one another's hearts and the complexity of another life and we can see giants in the land and we can choose the less abundant life rather than wrestling with the heart. We do this in so many ways. Giants in the land. It's a Christian, you've been burned so many times by the church, but instead of engaging with the hurt, you just kind of leave and fade away. You're single and you think, how can I do life without a partner? How can I continue this, this restless struggle with loneliness? And instead of fighting the good fight, it's numbing yourself out rather than putting yourself out there again. Giants in the land. But when we shrink back, we keep ourselves not only from love, but from the greatness of soul. It's my favorite quote about sloth. Can I share it with you? I don't even remember who wrote it. It's in one of my sermons somewhere, so I just nabbed it from there. Someone else said this. <laughs> Sloth is not fear of manual labor, but of inward transformation. It's a shrinking back, not so much from toil, but from the call to greatness of soul. Greatness of soul. That's right. Because who do I ultimately want to be? The dad who puts the kids in front of the TV? Or the one who engages? The one who sulks? Or the one who reconciles? I want to be the one who reconciles. And the reading dad. And the engaging with the wife's heart guy. So what's the anecdote or alternative? Paul goes on. And he says, be fervent in spirit. And that makes sense. <laughs> it's really the flip side of the coin, isn't it? Don't be slothful, but fervent which just means earnest or eager. The word fervor literally means to boil or to burn. 
We're to keep something boiling. Have you ever got frustrated waiting for water to boil? Like waiting, we had a, our oven at our old place, it took forever. And the kids would want mac and cheese. It would take so long for the water to boil. Or you need a cup of coffee and you're doing the pour over thing. And you gotta wait for the thing to boil. It's the worst part of my day. But now, Katie bought me a rapid boil pot that has totally revolutionized my coffee drinking. It boils really fast and keeps it at just the right temperature. I mention that because the picture that's being given here is to be able to move to boiling really quickly and to stay there. To keep, if you like, the pot boiling. So the next question is, what's the pot? And in terms of our passage, it says be boiling in spirit. But what spirit does it mean? Our spirit or God's spirit? Like our inner world or the Holy Spirit? Here's the thing. Commentate all the smart yahoos who write about this stuff, they don't know either. It's pretty split. And so let's look at both of them. If it's our spirit, that, that means we're supposed to keep the pot of our heart boiling. Like the, the rapid boil coffee maker. We're to stay hot with love. We're not to allow our love, in other words, to ebb and flow. We're not supposed to go hot and cold. We're not supposed to be enthusiastic in one moment and then drifting off in the other. When people don't know whether you're in or out. You know what that means? You know that? That can be so unloving not to, to know whether someone's in or out with you. But rather to keep the flame of your heart stoked. And so some translators have translated this simply, have a heart full of devotion. Or the J.P. Phillips translation, let us keep the fires of our spirit burning. But I think it's more likely that he's talking about God's spirit here. And in that case, Paul's making the point that this fervor, this ability not to flake out or give up on one another, it isn't something that ultimately comes from us. And it isn't something that comes from the other person, for sure. It comes from the Spirit. The Spirit of God. That when love gets hard and we're tempted to give up, we don't look to ourselves or to others. We look to Him. To His truth. His Spirit. We take the things of the Spirit and we heat up our lives with them. In that case, this isn't about what we heat up, but how we heat up the fire of our hearts and souls. Then Paul's saying that this fervor, it's not a self-energizing thing, but it's something that's implanted to us and given to us by the Spirit. 
It's not something we stir up in ourselves. And this just makes sense to me because it's really hard to stir up fervor for love when you're feeling unloving. And it shouldn't surprise us that we look to the Spirit for this because isn't this the fruit of the Spirit? Love? Joy? Peace? Patience? Kindness? Goodness? Faithfulness? Gentleness? Self-control, all the resources of love. So learning to be re-energized in love is learning how to allow the Spirit to have opportunity to influence me with its power so that I'm stirred up to love others. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's not rocket science, Christian friends. What does the Spirit use? He uses all kinds of things, but he uses the word, uses prayer, uses fellowship, uses worship, the, the old means of grace that the Spirit uses to implant God's love in our hearts and to stir us up to good deeds. We take comfort in God's word. I was being pokey in love the other day. I just wasn't feeling very lovely at all. And I got a letter from a friend, which reminded me of that wonderful passage from Isaiah, uh, where it's talking about the character of the coming Messiah. And Isaiah says that a uh, a bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. I needed to hear that because the, 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 the wick, the fire and flame of my love was about to go out. And I felt bruised and broken. And those words came and comforted me and encouraged me. The word comes into our lives and challenges us and, and convicts us with what love requires. He uses prayer. In prayer, we go to God with our requests, our needs. It's where we listen to His voice. And if we're willing to sit long enough with Him, it's where we experience His love. It's where Jesus went to keep His heart warm. If you look in the, in the Scriptures, in those Gospel narratives, when the needs around Him increased, He would find these large blocks of time to just steal away and be with his father. Isn't that amazing? That to love others well, we need to make a space for the Lord in our days. We take retreat days and Sabbaths when we need them the least. When we have margin in our days for them. But I think what Paul is saying is that our ability to love depends on my ability and willingness to be with the Lord and to let Him stoke the fires of my heart. I got to sit around a fire last night at a friend's house, a fire pit, the first fire pit of the season. And as I was sitting there noticing Uh, I was noticing the fire, and I was noticing that to keep us warm, the fire required a regular addition of logs. And I think what Paul is saying is that our spirits require continuous input to keep boiling. 
It's a strong motivation for a daily devotional time or to participate in a community of believers because we need the fuel of Scripture and intimacy and of prayer and the blessing of community so our spirit can remain fervent and our love can remain warm. Word, prayer, fellowship, worship like so many logs to put on the fire of our hearts to keep our love burning. Let's look at the last phrase. It says, serve the Lord. That makes sense. (laughs) Sounds like something we should do. The interesting thing about this phrase is that it could also be translated, serve in the Lord. Serve there is in the dative case. And so we usually translate that with an in or a to. So are we rendering service to the Lord? Or are we doing our service in the Lord? Well, all the smart folks are are all complicated and messed up on this too. So let's take it one by one. If it's to the Lord, it's simply recognizing and bringing to our mind that this is what we're actually doing. All day, every day, we are serving the Lord. It's that recognizing in even the most trivial tasks, who we are ultimately serving is Him. In the most routine moment of our day, the way we greet a client, the way we clean up our mess, the way we load or unload the dishwasher, the way we teach the fourth grader, the way we take notes, the way we give an an injection, the way we respond to an attack, or an offense. In all of these, we have opportunities to serve the Lord. And as we do so, serving Him, we have opportunities to create curiosity in the people around them and around us. If we do things as if we're serving the Lord, we might raise questions. Someone might say, you know, there's just something about the way that nurse took my blood pressure. I don't know what it was about her. I have to remember to ask her. There's just something about the way that teacher looks at me with like genuine interest and cares about my my eight-year-old heart. And they might someday ask the reason. And you could tell them. And you would tell them that it's not just that you're a religious person keeping commandments which of course is what you're doing, but that all the while you were serving the Lord. I've just discovered in my life that when I allow myself to be overcome by discouragement and when my spirit begins to faint, it is almost inevitably because the claims of the Lord's service are not utmost in my thoughts and affections. Serve the Lord. But what if it's serve in the Lord? Well, in the Lord is Paul's shorthand for a Christian living in vital union with Christ. So not rendering your service to Him, but through Him. Rendering your service to others by remembering who you are in Him. In other words, remembering all that He's accomplished for you. In the Lord serving. 
Remembering as you serve how he's loved you with a zealous love. His love for you has been the opposite of slothful. The opposite of shrinking back from greatness or hardship. Even when you give him a hard time, he never shrugs his shoulders or looks at you and says, whatever. He never looks at you and says, I don't have the time. I could care less. But in the person of Jesus, we find one whose zeal exceeds our sloth. One whose passion outshines our lack of nerve. One who never stops loving. Whose love burns brighter than our lovelessness. And whose joy transcends our sadness. So much so that every time you've lied, he applies to you every time he didn't. Every time you rage, he applies to you every time he was gentle. He never raged. Every time you don't get out of your chair to love, he applies every time he went to the cross for you. Every time you pass a person in need and don't stop, he applies every time he stopped and tended to those needs. That's what stokes the fire of love in our heart. What I'm most deeply grateful for is God's love for me, his approval of me, and that his commitment does not ride on my resolve, but on Jesus' resolve for me. The gospel is the good news announcing Jesus' infallible devotion to us in spite of our inconsistency and sloth towards him. Those who are forgiven much love much, in other words. And so we are to stir these things up in our hearts. Friends, don't be lazy in love. Be boiling in the Spirit, serving in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Romans 12 and how it continues to stoke the the fires of love in our hearts and continues to um, remind us of what love is truly and what love requires. And so I pray that you would continue to use these words to bind our community together. Knit us together in love. Help us to be uh, zealous in love. Earnest in love. Never lazy. Help us to seek what's best and not grow weary in doing good. Remind us that love doesn't come from us. It's hard for us to stir this up. But we need to give opportunities to your spirit to continue to stoke the fires of love in our hearts and keep our eyes always on Jesus because we love because he first loved us. 
as we remember these things, make us a people who love deeply and well. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.